the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. So when you read your Bible, sometimes you're reading it like a newspaper. It is reporting the events of the day, the good news and the bad news. The bad news in this topic is multiple marriages. Polygamy is never God's will. So don't read it and think, well, this must be something God sanctions. No, he doesn't. He doesn't sanction it at all. Genesis 2.24 was his perfect will concerning marriage. But we're reading like a newspaper. So we're reading the good things and the bad things of humanity. And this is just one of the bad things. It's easy to read and take the scripture as is, but some of the Bible needs to be interpreted and explained by God to weave it into our lives. The Bible is full of incredible things, and it's full of bad things, so we need to discern which sections are which, and how they apply to us individually or as a church body. In today's message, Pastor Gary will encourage you to take a deeper look at the portions of the Bible you hear or read. When we take the time to ask God how this applies to us, we go stronger in our faith. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. We're going to start into the book of 1 Samuel, and as I always do when we start into a new book, I'm going to give you a a bit of an introduction so that we can understand the context and some of the history behind this book so that we know where we're heading. So uh, for you note-takers, when we talk about 1 Samuel, in a Hebrew Bible, 1 and 2 Samuel are actually one book. We have them separated in our English Bibles, but in a Hebrew Bible, the Jews read 1 and 2 Samuel as simply the book of Samuel, uh, Sefer Shmuel. That's how they would say what we're about to read here. So we have it as 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, not in a Hebrew Bible. It is one book, the book of Samuel, Sefer Shmuel, and it needs to be read that way. Now, there are three main characters, so I'll, I'll still talk about 1 Samuel versus 2 Samuel, but that's the historical uh, context, and that's the way it is today in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, the, there are three main characters in 1 Samuel, and uh, we're going to read about them in this order. Samuel, Saul, and David. Uh, Saul is the first king of Israel, David is the second king and uh, and Samuel is kind of the main character, and thus this book is named for him. And we will see here that Samuel is a transitional figure. We're moving from a time in, in Israel's history where they were governed by judges. 
The book of Judges uh, explained all that. The book of Ruth fits within the book of Judges, so that's the context from which we are now leaving, and we're moving into a transitional period where Israel will be led by prophets and then uh, kings. We're going to come into a, a monarchy. The monarchy is not God's ideal. God's ideal uh, for the nation of Israel was a theocracy where he would be seen as God in charge. Uh, but unfortunately, as we will get further into First and Second Samuel, you'll see how the people of Israel really longed for a king. Why? Because that's what the neighboring nations had. And so they will um, not really honor God as king, They want an earthly king, and God will allow them to have earthly kings, although it's not part of his perfect will. He's going to give them what they really want, and then he's going to basically say, now how does that working for you? And so um, they're going to get Saul as the first king, and Samuel is this transitionary figure between the time of the judges and the time of the kings. Samuel himself is listed as a judge, uh, as are his sons. And Samuel is also listed as a prophet. And Samuel is also listed as a priest. He is, uh, he belongs to the priestly line of, of Levi. So he is a Levite. And we'll see in a moment, so was his father. That's obviously what makes Samuel, uh, a part of the tribe of Levi as well. So, so this is that Samuel. He's the main character. And so the book is named after him. The writer of this book, it's unknown. Now, some say Samuel wrote it, but Samuel dies in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 1. So the whole book of Samuel, again, in the Hebrew Bible, it's all one continuous book. And Samuel dies in what we have as 1 Samuel 25. So we really don't know who wrote this book. But that's, you know, kind of a misnomer when people say, oh, the book of Samuel was written by Samuel. Well, we don't know that. It doesn't say uh, it's just so named because he's the principal character right out of the gate here. The date of this book, which also tells us the general time frame of history here, is around 1100 B.C., around 1100 B.C. Now, again, this book is named after Samuel. In Hebrew, his name is Shmuel. Again, so in a Hebrew Bible, it's Sefer Shmuel, the book of Samuel. And Shmuel means God hears. And so it, um, it's, it's a wonderful name. It's a strong name. Uh, there's, I learned something when I was in Israel. So there's a, a friend of mine who actually owns the uh, travel agency in Israel that we, that we partner with when we go on tours of Israel. And so it's Sarel Tours. So it's owned by a man by the name of Sammy Smaja. And so his name in Hebrew is Shmuel. Well, I started hearing people calling him Shmulek in Hebrew. And so I said to him, you know, Sammy in English or Shmuel, I said, you know, Shmuel, why, why are people calling you Shmulek? Like your name is Shmuel. And he says, oh, he says, well, in Hebrew, you can uh, nickname someone um, with their name. And you, it's kind of an affectionate way of nicknaming someone. Like in, in English, we would, you know, John might be called Johnny. And so he said, when they call me Shmulek, they are, instead of calling me Samuel, they're calling me Sammy. And he said, so, you know, it's easy to, to do that with any name. You just kind of add the, the L-I-K at the end. So instead of Shmuel, I'm Shmulek. It's more of a nickname, Sammy. And he looks at me and he says, so you, Pastor Gary, you would be garlic. <laughs> Thank you. So 
Uh, that's what Sammy calls me now in, uh, in Israel. Pastor Garlic. Okay, so. But, that, but his name, Shmuel, means God hears. And we're going to see here in the opening chapter the name of his parents. His father's name is Elkanah, not Elkanah. In Hebrew, you, the, the accent, the emphasis is always on the name of God part of someone's name. El is the prefix to his name. It's Elkanah, not Elkanah. Elkanah. Well, again, something else I learned about names in, in Israel. My, one of my first tour guides back in like 1999, when one of the first times I went, was a guy that I would say in English is Daniel. And he kept correcting me. He says, my name is Daniela. And I was like, well, that's kind of a girl's name in America. We would say Daniela for a girl. He says, no, no, no. Daniela. You always put the accent on L, on the name of God. And so, uh, Elkanah, his name means, Samuel's father's name means, God has acquired or God has purchased. And then Samuel's mother's name is Hannah, and her name uh, beautifully means grace. Now, we're going to see in this book that Samuel becomes such a central figure, and not just in the book, but really throughout the Bible. Uh, In fact, Samuel gets ranked in Jewish literature with Moses. That's how significant of a figure that he is. Uh, I'll read just to you Jeremiah 15.1. It says, even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to this people. That was God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah about the sin of the nation at that time. And God says, even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, I would not hear these people. And so Samuel is ranked right up there with Moses. We also see a reference in a similar way to, uh, to this comparison in Psalm 99, verse 6, where it says, Moses and Aaron were among God's priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. So he's a very significant figure uh, in the Bible. And, and again, these are the names of his parents, Elkanah and Hannah. But then there's another character we're going to see here in the opening chapter, and, um, and that other character is another wife that Elkanah has, and her name is Penina, and Penina's name in Hebrew translates pearl, and what a gem she is. And I, if you know anything about this story, you know I say that with sarcasm, because she is an antagonizer, she uh, provokes Tears with Hannah. There's this constant rivalry here that you're going to see, and it really is because of Panina. Panina is uh, not a happy person. She's not a sweetheart. She uh, takes pride in the fact that she is able to have children, and what we're going to see here is that Hannah struggles with infertility. So what is indicated to us in Scripture is that Hannah is really uh, Elkanah's first wife. But in that culture, often what happened was if a woman was barren, if she was unable to produce children, then a man would sometimes take a second wife or a third wife. That's what's indicated in our story. So uh, Elkanah, he, he does not take Penina because he, ne- he necessarily wants to. In fact, we're going to see here that his true love really is Hannah. The way he treats her, the way he gives her double of everything, um, but he is going to produce children through Penina, and she's going to rub it in the face of Hannah. It's, you know, look, 
Polygamy in the Bible is never a good thing. When you see the kind of family dynamics and you see the kind of uh, problems in this house, it is all because there's polygamy going on here. Now, you can read the Bible and many times see in the Old Testament that many men had multiple wives. I I can tell you that was never God's will, intention, and he never condones it. God's will is Genesis 2.24. For this sake, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Not three, four, ten, the two. That was God's will. Jesus even quotes that when he talks about marriage in the Gospels. So God's divine purpose for marriage is one man and one woman, not polygamy. So then you might say, well, then why did it seem like God allows it? Sometimes you need to understand that when you are reading your Bible, it is like reading a newspaper. The newspaper reports the events of the day as well as the crimes of the day, okay? Polygamy was man's practice, but not God's preference. So when you read your Bible, sometimes you're reading it like a newspaper. It is reporting the events of the day, the good news and the bad news. The bad news in this topic is multiple marriages, polygamy. It's never God's will. So don't read it and think, well, this must be something God sanctions. No, he doesn't. He doesn't sanction it at all. Genesis 2.24 was his perfect will concerning marriage. But we're reading like a newspaper. So we're reading the good things and the bad things of humanity. And this is just one of the bad things. Uh, Elkanah should not have taken on another wife, but he did. Because Hannah, in due time, will conceive and not only bear Samuel. Hannah and Elkanah will end up having three additional sons and two daughters. So God is going to open her womb... But for the time being, God has closed it. And we'll talk more about that in a moment when we go through the chapter. But this is the scene here. This is what is happening. And uh, this is the background. As we start into chapter 1, you need to know all that background as you read in the family dynamics here and what is happening uh, as it relates to now what we're going to see is the conception and the birth of Samuel here in chapter 1. So with all that said, as a lengthy introduction, uh, let's, let's pray and let's just ask God to help us now as we study God's Word together. Lord, we just commit this time now to you as we open up your Word. And we pray that this uh, first chapter here will just speak to us in, in different ways, how you would personally want to minister to us. And we, we thank you for your word. We ask you to be glorified now, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. All right, here, First Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Now, there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. Now, by the way, in the margin of your Bible, you can just write uh, in the margin, 1 Chronicles chapter 6, 1 Chronicles 6, 22 to 26. In 1 Chronicles 6, it says that Elkanah is a Levite. It doesn't tell us that specifically here, but that's how we know he is of the tribe of Levi. He's a Levite, and thus his sons will also be Levites, including, of course, here, Samuel. And verse 2 says, and he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man, talking about Elkanah, 
This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. All right, pause there for a moment. So uh, the, the Bible tells us that uh, Elkanah is a very devout man, and he's going to go to Shiloh to make sacrifices. Now, Shiloh is uh, the location at this particular time of the tabernacle of the Lord. Remember, before uh, Solomon built the permanent structure in Jerusalem, the temple unto the Lord, there was a temporary temple known as the tabernacle or also known as the tent of meeting. And it was, uh, it was just that. It was a tent. It was mobile. But at this particular time, it was situated in Shiloh. Now, Shiloh is about 15 miles uh, north of where Elkanah lives, which tells us in verse 1 was Ramathaim Zophim. So he travels about 15 miles here to get to Shiloh, uh, and he does it every year. And it tells us that he's offering sacrifices. Now, there are different types of sacrifices in the Bible. The kind of sacrifice that it is believed he's offering here is known as a fellowship offering or a peace offering, which would involve the slaughtering of an animal, but this was not a guilt offering for the sins of the people. This was a fellowship offering, a peace offering. He's worshiping the Lord. And typically what would happen is when you would bring a fellowship offering, you'd offer an animal uh, in, in sacrifice to the Lord, and the priest then would help you to slaughter it, and then a third of the animal would go to God as a sacrifice. It would be burned up on the altar. A third of the animal would go to the priest as a way to help support the priest. They would, they would eat it. It was part of helping to support them. And the last third, you would eat with your family right there in Shiloh. You basically have a barbecue. Now, if you go today, and we don't anymore because Shiloh is a part of the West Bank, but in the first couple of years that I was leading tours to Israel, we used to go to Shiloh. You can actually stand within that tent area where it previously was located because there's an outline of stones where the tabernacle used to be. And I've stood in the middle of that, right where this story is happening, there are shards of pottery still there all over the place. Um, I may or may not have brought some home. But anyway, um, and, I, and I don't have any to show you because I may or may not have brought any home. But you can see a bunch of shards of pottery. Why? Because as the people would come there to offer their sacrifices, a third of a fellowship offering would be a barbecue. You'd actually eat it there. You'd cook it and eat it there. And there's all this leftover pottery and just shards of, and pieces of, of former plates and cups as part of worshiping the Lord and having a barbecue, part of the sacrifice. So here comes Elkanah with his wives uh, offering sacrifices. Notice this in verse 3, to the Lord of hosts. This is the first time that phrase is used to describe the Lord, but that phrase is used 281 times in the Bible. This is the first time. Lord of hosts translates literally Lord of the armies, that God is the Lord of a host of angelic armies. What is so interesting to me in this story is that here the Lord is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies. And and it's a strong term that means a God who is armed for battle. And that same God who is armed for battle as the Lord of hosts is going to stoop down and minister to one particular woman. This is a beautiful story about how God is so tender in the way that he ministers to Hannah and how he takes care of her and how he responds to her prayer 
And, and so here is the Lord of hosts, a very strong and powerful term for the Lord, but yet he stoops down to minister to one particular woman here. And it says uh, in the rest of, of verse uh, 3, also the two sons of Eli. Now, Eli is the high priest at this time. And so he's there in Shiloh, ministering there at the tabernacle, along with Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord were there. Those are his sons. Now, we're going to find out a little bit later, these guys are wicked guys. These guys are, are troublemakers. Uh, they, they are practicing sinful things at the, ta- at the, at the tabernacle of the Lord. I mean, just, these pastor's kids, they're rough. I mean, just telling you. And, uh, but we're trying to keep it shallow, uh, for them. And, and so, and so that's the mention of Eli. He's the high priest. His sons, Hophni and Phinehas, priests of the Lord, they were there. Verse four. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, this is how we know he loves Hannah the most. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion for he loved Hannah. Although the Lord had closed her womb. And so, so he, you know, imagine this. So, Elkanah's traveling there. He's got Penina, uh, his, his second wife, and he's got, you know, kids by her, and he's got Hannah. Uh, and it tells us that he gives Penina her portion. So they're having the barbecue portion of the fellowship offering. And uh, Penina and her kids get McNuggets, right? But Hannah, she gets a double portion. He, like, brings out Ruth's Chris for her. You know, he's like, hey, I, I saved the best, the best of this sacrifice for you. Why? Because he loved her. He loved her. He loved her more than he did Penina here. Hannah was his first love. But it adds there at the end of verse 5, although the Lord had closed her womb. Now, what's the theology on that? Because infertility is a real issue that a lot of couples face. Uh, By the way, Hannah is not the first, nor will she be the only or last woman in the Bible to experience uh, uh, infertility. Sarah, remember Abraham's wife, uh, Rebecca, uh, and uh, her husband Isaac, for 20 years she could not conceive. Uh, Rachel, the wife of Jacob, um, Manoah's wife, she's unnamed, it's the mother of Samson. She experiences infertility. And in the New Testament, you have Elizabeth. Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah, and Elizabeth would end up giving birth to John the Baptist. So all these different women suffered uh, at different times with infertility. And it is a, it's a real thing that a lot of people have to deal with. But it says here that the Lord had closed her womb. And so this is challenging on, on different levels. First, what we need to understand is that God is the author of life. And as the author of life, he is the ultimate one who determines whether or not a woman gets pregnant. In Hannah's particular case, because it's going to repeat the phrase again in the next verse, the Lord had closed her womb. He closes her womb because he is preparing her for a greater purpose. The greater purpose of having a son who will literally change the course of a nation. We don't always understand why God does what he does. In his sovereignty, sometimes he does things that we cannot understand. And there are times that he does things that we will later understand. But what he does here in Hannah's life 
is he closes her womb because he's actually preparing her to give birth to a son who will change the course of a nation. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of 1 Samuel. This book is packed full of practical applications for our lives today. We follow three main characters, Saul, David, and of course Samuel, through a series of crossroads and decisions they faced during the early days in Bible times. It is here that we find the victory of David over Goliath and the development of a new prophet in young Samuel. We also find the fall of a king in Saul as a reminder of the consequences of disobedience to God. As Samuel told Saul in chapter 15, verse 22, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can hear the truth from one another? Cornerstone Chapel gets together each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m., and Wednesday at 7 p.m. to learn from the Word and spend time in fellowship as sons and daughters of the King. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also encourage and believe in the power of praying together and for one another. Email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net with your prayer needs today. Thanks for listening to this teaching from 1 Samuel today on Cornerstone Connection. Got no place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.